we've hit the middle of the week, and welcome in to the show that's all about what's going on in the South. John Rawl is my name. I'm the general of all things Southern, and this is the Y'all Show, powered by the South's homepage, y'all.com. Hope y'all are doing well, 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 well. We got a, a very busy July 19th episode of Y'all. We've got more coverage from SEC Media Days on Tuesday. They expanded the teams that appeared from three to four. So we've got four teams to spotlight throughout today. We're going to start off here in hour one with Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers as War Eagle Plainsman Tigers had their day in the sun in Nashville on Tuesday. And we'll hear from the brand new coach of Auburn, Hugh Freeze, and his thoughts about his team as he comes over from Liberty, the former University of Mississippi and Arkansas State coach and Lambeth coach, now coaching in the SEC again with the Auburn Tigers. So Auburn is our spotlight here in our first hour of our SEC recap. We also have news headlines coming in in this first hour that we'll get to in just a sec. Before the hour is up, we're going to go through the breakdown across the whole country of what exactly you call a carbonated beverage. I think we know what it's called here in the South. Those other places are fighting over words like pop and soda. We'll just let them keep fighting it out. We've got a fun thing. It's hashtag Hullabaloo. It's where social media fun stuff comes to us, and we share it with all y'all, and we'll be getting to that later in the hour. Hour two of today's y'all show, we've got more headlines plus more coverage from SEC Media Days Day 2. We're going to let you hear from the head coach of the two-time defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart, at the microphone on Tuesday. We've got audio from him, plus we have a new coach in the SEC, guy who's never coached, as far as I know, any head coaching job. He's had Zach Arnett. He is Mississippi State's head coach, taking over for the late Mike Leach, and he will be in hour two, so we'll have a pair of Bulldog coaches Smart and Arnett coming to you for our SEC coverage in hour two today, plus in hour two. This is something that I briefly flirted with doing way back when. And there are a handful of y'all out there who have, might have done this thing. But a lot more of you are probably in the same category as me. You thought about doing it, but you never actually pulled the trigger. We're going to talk about the Appalachian Trail as part of our Southern Business Spotlight. Don't ask me how I got on this tangent, but I found a video that calls, it's about the cost of hiking the Appalachian Trail because there is actually a route that goes from the north to the south. And if you're going to go from the north to the south, right now is the time to do it. So you want to go up into Maine or wherever it ends up there and head down south. The terminus on the southern end is just outside of Dahlonega, Georgia. And so if you do the the, the southward trek through New England right now, you should end up in North Georgia around mid-October. I think that's about right. It's a little too risky to go north right now. And if you're going to go north from, from Dahlonega toward New England, you really needed to get going doing that. I think mid-April is the time to do that. So Appalachian Trail Talk, part of our Southern Business Spotlight. And I'm going to talk again. This is part of a business feature we've got today. I'm going to talk about how much it actually costs. If you're looking to get away, this might be a great option for a couple of months. And I seriously thought about doing it, but I didn't. Instead, I went to graduate school. 
How silly of me, huh? The Appalachian Trail and the business side of it coming up in our second hour today. Our final hour of the Y'all Show. More coverage of the SEC Media Days. We're going to hear from the hometown coach in Nashville, Clark Lee. He was at the podium Tuesday representing the Vanderbilt Commodores. We'll get the now third-year coach's comments about the mighty doors. And are they going to get bowl eligible this year? We're pulling for you, Vanderbilt. We'll see what Clark Lee's got in store in 2023. So we'll have that. Plus, we're just hours away from the Open Championship beginning. It'll be early on Thursday when Royal Liverpool is the place where the Open Championship is going to take fold. And I'm going to try to get Jason Nall on our Thursday Y'all Show. He is with College Tour X, the wonderful tour that helps collegiate golfers in their quest to get to the PGA and LPGA Tour. We're going to try to get Nall on our Thursday show, but today in our final hour, we'll bring you kind of up to the to the fairways, to the links, if you will, of Royal Liverpool with a little bit more information on the Open Championship for this year. That's coming up in hour three plus. We've got a Southern History Spotlight. I stumbled on this while going through some some of the things that happened on this date in history, and it was on this date in history. In 1967, an awful plane crash happened right outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Two planes collided. One of them was a big passenger jet. And I'm going to talk about the Piedmont Airlines crash of 1967, give you a little bit more on that. And if you were were around in the late 60s, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. We really haven't had that many airplanes that have gone down because they crashed into another airplane. And that happened in the South back in 1967. Nearly 100 people died in that crash. So that is a tragic, tragic memory, but something still we want to bring out in our Southern history for today. And we'll do that in our final hour of today's Y'all Show. If you would like to get involved with the show, we've got a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can drop us an email, mail at yall.com, mail at y'all.com. We also have, for all of you who listen to us via our podcast, which our podcasts are available on the following apps, absolutely free. Just go download them and you can listen. You can skip forward. You can pause them. You can share. It's real easy. We're available absolutely free on Spotify. We're on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, Apple Apple iTunes, and Apple Podcast. All free. All you have to do to find us is search Y'all Show, and we're right there, right there for you. So check that out. As we have this show that's all about the South, and we think that not only will you enjoy it, but you'll find others who will likely thank you and slap you on the back and say, hey, why didn't you tell me about that guy, Mr. John, and what he does each and every day talking about the South? That's a that's kind of a good show. I learned so much listening to the Y'all Show. And I'm actually relaying what someone just shared to me on Tuesday as I saw their text messages where they had shared an episode of the Y'all Show to that person, and that person gave us a very nice compliment, not just for the interview that that guest was on, but also just the fact that we we do a good show. And if we're not doing a show, good show, hey, drop me an email, our email address, mail at y'all.com. Tell me. Say, John, man, you need to get it together. You need to do a better job. I'm, I'm, I'm a big boy. I think I am. 
And uh, we would love to hear your feedback, no matter what it is. Right here at the show that really is all about, (laughs) get this, (laughs) y'all. And we're happy to do it. Let's start our news headlines for this hour. And we got a couple of stories coming out of the state of Louisiana. As authorities in the Pelican State have now identified a former shipyard worker who was killed in a shootout with sheriff's deputies on Monday. And the two co-ex-workers, the man had gunned down hours before he was killed. The suspect killed Monday was Willis Thomas of Harvey, Louisiana. And that's out of suburban New Orleans. Jefferson Parish Sheriff Joe Lapatino said deputies tracked Thomas to his apartment a couple of hours after he killed two of his former co-workers. Nakey James Brown, a 48-year-old and 20-year-old Dustin Perry. And he killed him at FMP Shipyard there in the New Orleans area. It remains unclear why the man had been fired at the shipyard or why he shot those two men. But a, a scary situation. In the end, the man that shot him ends up dying in a police shootout. Killed Monday afternoon at this apartment complex in suburban New Orleans, the 31-year-old former shipyard worker killed after sheriff's deputies shot him in a shootout earlier this week. In a revenge, it sounds like, or a, a work vengeance-type situation in the state of Louisiana. Now to some state politics out of the Pelican State. And it looks like In Baton Rouge, the Republican-dominated legislature has now overturned the governor's recent veto of a ban on gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Governor John Bell Edwards of Louisiana is a Democrat, and he recently vetoed this measure. The effect, this, this ban is scheduled now to go into effect on January 1st of this coming year. And now Louisiana will join 20 other states that have enacted laws restricting or banning gender-affirming medical care, and that includes puberty blockers, hormone treatment, and gender reassignment surgery. Most of those states now face lawsuits, and in some places the bans have been temporarily blocked by federal judges. But Louisiana is one of our rare southern states. I, 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 if I sit here and think about it, going through the list of states in the south, we've got 16 of them. Maryland has a Democratic governor and now is pretty much dominated by Democrats in their state legislature. So that one's pretty blue there in Maryland. Virginia's kind of flopped or flipped and and flopped with a Republican governor. And I believe one of their houses of government is now Republican. So Virginia is really an exception. North Carolina has a Democratic governor, but they're right now in a really nasty governor's race in North Carolina. Governor and and the governor's got two heavy Republican state legislatures in the state of North Carolina that he's got to deal with. And they recently, of course, overturned a similar action there with a LGBTQ legislation that the Governor Cooper vetoed and, and then North Carolina, or maybe that was abortion. I think that was abortion. All this stuff's kind of running together. I apologize. And then as you go throughout the rest of the South, South Carolina is all Republican governor, both legislators, the House and Senate. Georgia is heavy Republican. Florida is definitely heavy Republican. Alabama's all Republican. 
Mississippi is all Republican. Tennessee's Republican. Kentucky's got Republicans in the House and Senate, but Andy Bashir, a Democrat, is actually currently there in charge in Frankfort, Kentucky. When you go to Missouri, it's Southern. It's Republican with a governor there, and I think both houses of government are Republican-led in the show-me state. Oklahoma, for goodness sakes, is all Republican. Texas is all Republican. And then you get back to Louisiana. Arkansas is certainly Republican. Don't want to leave them out. And then we've got that last bastion that I have, that brought me to this whole subject, and that would be Louisiana. And John Bell Edwards, a West Point alumnus, is a Democrat leading that state, but it's a very Republican state government in Baton Rouge. And now he sees that effect of them vetoing his measure this week. We'll keep you updated on any more developments out of Baton Rouge, and I'm sure this is going to have a lawsuit coming in the state of Louisiana. Of course, Louisiana is an unusual bird because not only – do they have a pelican as their mascot? But no, they have the Napoleonic law in effect in Louisiana, and it makes legal cases there completely different than any other state in the country. Now, let's go to Montgomery. Let's take you out of Louisiana and go over to Montgomery. This is something I didn't think I would be seeing in 2023. We may just have a new state house for one of our southern states. As lawmakers in Montgomery on Tuesday, took a step toward construction of a new Alabama state house. They've appointed a committee to negotiate a lease agreement. So, is Alabama going to really build a brand new state house, and where would it be built? I assume somewhere in Montgomery. The current state house in Montgomery is plagued by mold and other problems, and it does not have enough space for the public to attend meetings. That, according to lawmakers. This was, of course, once, if it's the same building, and I, th- I think it is, it was once the capital, not of just Alabama, it was the Confederacy, Confederacy's first capital. That's where Jefferson Davis had his first White House, was in Montgomery, Alabama. And it frankly should have stayed there. They should have never moved the Confederacy's capital to Richmond, too close to the Yankees. And therefore, we know, ultimately, Richmond fell. Heck, most of Alabama did not fall until the last few weeks of the Civil War. That's how that that state was so well buoyed from Yankee assaults. Now, I know there were battles in Mobile and some other activity in North Alabama, but most of Alabama escaped major Civil War battles. But lawmakers now are discussing the possibility of using $200 million of federal pandemic funds to help build a, a state house. Now, why is that? Why do we have an, why do we have that much money floating around and it's not just for possibly building a new state house there's so much wasted government money sitting out there pandemic relief funds that should never even been out there period I know there are schools everywhere that are just blessed to have untold amounts of money right now they're They've got money to blow, and they don't know how to blow it. Most of them are putting in new artificial turf on football fields, probably so the coaching staff doesn't have to go out there and cut grass anymore. That's just a guess. That's a low blow, but it's probably true. I saw some high school coaches just yesterday out there in the hot sun with a nice, fresh grass field, and they were sweating their fannies off getting that, not just the field, but all the 
sides of the stadium where it needed the grass needed to be cut. I guess in most cases the high school coaching staff is responsible for that. I think it was the high school head coach I saw out there on the zero turn doing it. Maybe that's a requirement to be a head football coach in high school is you got to be a heck of a a, a groundskeeper. <laughs> but yes, there are there's just a lot of money floating around and some of that money 200 million of it might just go toward building a new Alabama state house. Of course, if you've ever been to Montgomery, you will know that a lot of that skyline has been reformed over the last 30 years by the teachers union of Alabama. They've gone in and invested and done really well. And they own that teachers union, a lot of the properties in the state of Alabama, right? Especially in Montgomery. And they have to their credit, a nice white theme I think it's a white theme and a, maybe a greenish roof in most cases so there there is some uniformity from an architectural standpoint with a lot of the buildings in Montgomery most of them state government buildings so I've got to give them credit and maybe they'll have a unbelievably beautiful state house as a result I will say Alabama please don't do what Florida did Florida's got that classic old state house in Tallahassee and right around the corner, their so-called state house now is a skyscraper for goodness sakes. Come on. You can do better than that, Florida. And I think North Carolina's got a similar thing. I think <laughs> speaking of North Carolina, let's take you to the old, old North state and out of that state in the very Western portion is where you'll find the Cherokee Indian reservation. And now members of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians are going to vote coming up in September on whether they want to legalize marijuana possession and sales on tribal lands for anyone 21 and older, not just for those seeking it for medical use that the North Carolina tribe had already authorized. So this is a big, big story because North Carolina and surrounding states do not have legal marijuana possession. I don't think Virginia's got it. I know South Carolina doesn't and Georgia doesn't. We might have a hippie <laughs> flocking to Cherokee, North Carolina real soon if this goes through. The Eastern Band of Cherokee Indian Tribal Council agreed to place the question on a ballot that will be before the tribe's September 7th general election. And so you might just see legal marijuana smoking and joking on the tribal lands of the Cherokee Indians in western North Carolina, right on the Tennessee line, not far from Dolly, Dollywood. You can go get high in North Carolina le legally <laughs> and then get high on a Dollywood roller coaster within 45 minutes if this goes through. We will keep our eye on the Cherokee Indians and how they end up voting coming up soon. Of course, they've got their own casino there in Cherokee, North Carolina. They do a really good job. People from all over several states flock to Cherokee to gamble, to check out the other entertainment options. They've got wonderful concerts with A-list celebrities coming in there on a regular basis. So it's a good entertainment option for a lot of Southerners, the Cherokee Reservation in North Carolina. It might end up real soon being a place you can get high legally if that's what something if that's something you're into a quick political update 
Ron DeSantis said Tuesday in an interview with Jake Tapper on CNN that he hopes former President Donald Trump does not get charged in connection with January 6th. He says it would not be good for the country. That's a little surprising for President Trump's closest competition. A guy who's been in the news this week because he's had to cut back some of his staff. Things are not going all that great for the Florida governor on this 2024 presidential bid. But he's coming to Trump's defense after Trump let the cat out of the bag early on Tuesday morning saying that he had gotten a alert Sunday that he's likely going to be charged for January 6th. There are four major legal problems Trump's facing right now. He's already been indicted twice. He got indicted on the hush money deal, Stormy Daniels. He's been indicted on the Mar-a-Lago documents. It looks like he's going to get an indictment of some type on this case about January 6th, and he's the only one that's gotten the so-called warning letter. And I saw some of the pundits Tuesday talking about there may be a, a very strong case made by the Justice Department that they only want to go after Donald Trump here. Make him the example. Rudy Giuliani came out and said that he had not received one of those letters just like we thought Trump received. So I don't know what the strategy is coming from the government on this case, but that's the third thing that looks like it's definitely going to happen. And then the fourth, if there aren't enough things for Trump to worry about, the fourth thing is what's going on in Georgia with Fonnie Willis. Is she going to charge him any day now for election interference in the 2020 election in Georgia? I think that's coming. So get ready, y'all. I think we're going to have four different legal procedures in motion against Donald Trump. And that's why there's drums being beaten by some people out there that are already saying that Trump's going to get out of this thing and come up with some kind of agreement so he doesn't have to go to jail, so he won't have to be prosecuted. Look, the Trump haters will do anything they can to keep him from being president. And if that means cutting a deal, they'll do it. I don't want Trump to do it, though. I want Trump to fight this thing. I want him to fight it all the way because I think a large, large case he's got is First Amendment issues. It, in terms of January 6th, Trump wanted people to come to Washington, D.C. and make a big scene about how the election, in his opinion, you may not like it, but in his opinion, the election was stolen. And he's got evidence. He's got evidence. He's got evidence on based on the fact that a lot of states prior to the election changed their laws, which they weren't supposed to do, but they did it anyway. He's got that evidence. He's got other circumstantial evidence out there on election interference leading up to the election, stuffing the ballots and more. I'm not going to litigate the all the stuff here on this show, but I'm just trying to get into the head of Donald Trump. And plus he's got all these people coming to him who should know what's going on, credible people. We're talking lawyers like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, who was one heck of a prosecutor for the government prior to being a mayor of America's largest city. 
these people ought to know what's up. So I'm not trying to say Trump's innocent, but he at least has his own side of the story. And for people who take that call to come to Washington, D.C. and then go invade the Capitol, unless they've got a direct link where Donald Trump orders these people and says, I want you to go break into the Capitol and just tear the place up, unless they can prove he said or insinuated that, then I don't think there's anything that can really be done to him because these people in many cases took this stuff upon it. Their, their own actions up with their own free will, not because Trump told them to. They may, in their crazy minds, have thought Trump may have said it, but <laughs> he didn't. And you know why he didn't? Because there's no, no evidence already. We would know that if that were the case. So how in the world I'm sitting here talking about January 6th on July 19th is beyond me. But, hey, that's what we've got here with this case won't go away. I just saw yesterday somebody from Bluffton, South Carolina, a kid – gets charged with felonies because he was in the Capitol. And that was three years ago. And now he's going to go off to jail for quite some time because he just happened to be in the, in the Capitol. Yeah, he can go to jail, but he should have already gone to jail. This should not even be a felony, in my opinion. Especially when you compare what they did January 6th to, let's say, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the stuff they did for months and months and months. Come on. All right. Get me off my soapbox here <laughs> on this Wednesday, y'all show. I'll tell you what, you know what will get me off the soapbox talking about SEC sports. When we come back, we're going to go to Nashville where the SEC media days underway. We've got day three today, but we're going to go back to Tuesday, day two, and we'll go to the Auburn spotlight. Hugh Freeze is on the plains in his first year coaching Auburn in 2023. We're going to hear from the new head coach of Auburn, a familiar face to SEC fans, and we'll get his thoughts on his Tiger program. That's part of our Southern Sports Update, and it's coming up next here on Y'all, so don't go anywhere. By the way, our email address, mail at y'all.com. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. Powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line.
And a little War Eagle to you here on the Y'all Show as we recap day two of SEC Media Days as day two went down on Tuesday. I'm John Rawl. Welcome back into the show that it's all about the South and Auburn at the podium Tuesday with their new coach, Hugh Freeze. And here on the Y'all Show on this Wednesday edition, we're going to walk through what happened Tuesday. We've got Auburn this hour. We've got Georgia and Mississippi State that we will feature in hour two. And in our final hour today, we're going to rewind to Tuesday and hear from Clark Lee, the third-year head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores. And SEC Media Days being held this year for the first time ever in Music City, USA. And Auburn coach Hugh Freeze, I don't think he had a guitar close by, (laughs) but he was ready to pull out his songbook and tell the good folks there in the audience in downtown Nashville what exactly his plan is for Auburn football in 2023. And don't sleep on Hugh Freeze. This guy turned around a disaster that Houston Nutt had left in Oxford when he took over the University of Mississippi program back in 2012. He took them to bowl games right from the beginning. He went to a Birmingham Bowl in his first year. Ended up taking the University of Mississippi to a Sugar Bowl, the first time they'd been to a Sugar Bowl since the Johnny Vault era. Did a great job. Then controversy came, and then he got kicked out of there. So he goes to Liberty University. He literally makes Liberty University one of the best teams in college football over the last few years. Top 25 rankings in more than one year. A player picked in the first round at quarterback by the Tennessee Titans. Hugh Freeze is a good coach. He knows what he's doing. Now is Auburn going to be his next place to work his magic like he's worked at Liberty and the University of Mississippi and before that Arkansas State University and before that for the Lambeth Eagles in Jackson, Tennessee and before that at Briarcrest in Memphis. And I don't think he coached anywhere before Briarcrest. I could be wrong. Mr. Blindside coach himself, Hugh Freeze, again Tuesday at the mic in Nashville talking about his 2023 football team. Here's Coach Freeze. That's uh, the, the, the – all right, let's go back to the – did I one day – truthfully, when the, uh, the, the ending at Ole Miss occurred, uh, it was hard to, uh, to truthfully process would you ever get that opportunity again. So I would have to say I, I, at that point, no. I mean, obviously – but as time passes and, and t- things tend to uh, settle back in and, and you work through, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I think that one of the greatest judges of people and our players included and the people I come in contact with are um, when you experience disappointment, failure, um, whether it was of your own doing or whether it was circumstances that come into your life, like Luke Deal, who's with us today, who just he lost his father while while being at Auburn. I mean, those are are tough circumstances, and but how a person responds to those and reacts to those, I think, probably tells you more about them um, than than the successes do. And so, I would be less than truthful with you if after we started having success at Liberty. Um, particularly with it just going FBS and us being able to beat the likes of Arkansas and BYU and Virginia Tech and Syracuse and playing close with every Power Five that we played. Um, 
did the thought start creeping in your mind that that certain opportunities might present themselves again? Yes, at that point, but uh, not prior to that point did they enter my mind. And um, then it's an interesting fact, obviously, that Gus and uh, and Brian both were at Arkansas State after my tenure there. Um, and obviously, Gus is a dear friend of mine who who. Uh, talk with about a lot of things and he's just so complimentary of Auburn and the people and and the things that can happen there so I don't did I answer all your questions or I think so let's go, let's go over here to the right side over uh, over to our right coach uh, Philip Dukes from uh, Auburn undercover uh, coach freeze in terms of establishing a culture as far as being the new coach at Auburn what was your first order of business or the lowest hanging fruit so to speak uh, I think I think making sure they knew that it's defined for them. What what is our culture? And our culture is based on faith, attitude, and, and mental toughness, integrity, and love. And what do those things mean to us? And how, you know, faith obviously is uh, that that's a word that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And and certainly it means something for me. But it, and the bottom line is, if we are going to reestablish Auburn being what Auburn should be, we must have faith in each other. And that means faith in our administration. It means faith in our coaching staff faith in the guy that lines up next to you and um, that's probably where it needed to begin because I think that was lost for whatever reason and I'm not one to when I don't walk in someone else's shoes I'm very careful not to judge or not to to have an opinion that that's not based in something that I really don't know so I but I did sense coming in that uh, the faith in the whole family and and uh, of of Auburn football was fractured somewhat and I think that is where I had to start in trying to repair that thankfully it had help with you know our new president Roberts and, and John Cohen coming in with me which I think speaks to our, our alignment all right that was Hugh Freeze Tuesday at SEC football media days and I do like the way he handled himself with that he, he's at least in this response, not totally shying away from his troubled history. And he's got a great opportunity at Auburn University to turn this program around. And it shouldn't take much to turn Auburn football around. For God's sakes, this is one of the best football history, historic programs in college football in the Southeastern Conference. It is very, very unusual (laughs) that Hugh Freeze now comes to Arkansas State and he is the third straight head coach of that program that it, at one point was also an Arkansas State Indian slash Red Wolf head coach. Because Gus Malzahn, he was an Arkansas State guy. Then, don't forget that Brian Harson actually coached Arkansas State for one year back in 2013 before he got a chance to go on to Boise State, and he was at Boise State until he came to Auburn and coached at Auburn for those two years. Remember in the Harson era, he was 6-7 and seven in year one and lost the Birmingham Bowl to have a losing record that year. And then in 2022, he, he, he didn't even make it through the season. He was ousted after eight games, and he finished up at 3-5 and five for the War Eagle Plainsman in 2022 so a third straight head coach coming to the plains who's got the arkansas state credentials this time though i do believe hugh freeze is a much better fit this guy's from tate county mississippi he grew up 
30 minutes from Memphis. Southern Miss is where he went to college. He dreamed of being a coach at, at his favorite school growing up, Ole Miss. He got that opportunity. He did a very good job. He could still be there today if not for his off-the-field problems. And coupled with that are some of the bad things from a player standpoint. Ole Miss got in trouble probation-wise. And so it is it's very odd that the last few years I kept hearing that Hugh Freeze would never be allowed to coach in the SEC again after he got fired by Ross Bjork during his time in Oxford. Well, guess what? Bjork left Oxford. He's the athletic director at Texas A&M. And lo and behold, you got Hugh Freeze now, head coach at Auburn in the SEC West. <laughs> it's kind of funny how things work out. That's a look at a recap of Auburn at the podium on Tuesday. As we go through today's show, I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect on day three today. You've got four new teams on the uh, on the dais uh, this day, including the Alabama Crimson Tide will be there. Nick Saban will be in attendance in Nashville. You've got Arkansas. Florida and Kentucky, part of day three of SEC Media Days. And we'll have all that coaches speak coming to you on the Thursday edition of the Y'all Show. So we'll have all the coverage you need right here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap this hour up with a little hashtag hullabaloo. This is where we go on social media and find really fun stuff, and we share it with all y'all. And we're going to do that when we come right back. Thank you, Mr. Kershaw. We're back here on y'all wrapping up our first hour of this Wednesday edition. And we go into social media fun for this segment that we call hashtag hullabaloo. And we got one heck of a survey coming out from BuzzNet again. They do a good job with all things internet. And they've got a tweet that caught our eye here, our staff of the y'all show. It says, Americans come in all different shapes, sizes, and accents with varying lingo from the drop T of the North the East to the like Valley Girl accent of the West. There's no one way to say anything in the United States. Did we get it right? And what they've got to couple with that statement is a map of the lower 48. And this lower 48 has three different words on it. Pop, soda, and Coke. <laughs> And it is a map that shows us where you're likely to hear those three words used for what we call a beverage. 
our beverage of choice. And as a dyed-in-the-wool southern boy, there's few things that make my ears cringe than when I hear someone say, hey, you want a soda? Or even worse, you want a pop? I mean, come on. That's about as awful Yankee as it gets. So here in the South, and I'm looking at this map, the choice Southerners use instead of soda and pop is Coke. Our good old Mr. Pemberton created Georgia-based beverage Coke. Because we just use Coke interchangeably. It's kind of like Kleenex here if you're really a Southerner. So looking at this map, Coke by far is the word of choice for most people in the South. Now, South Florida, you're more likely to hear someone asking for a soda, according to this map. I don't know how scientifically accurate the map is, but it makes for good conversation. And then as we get into St. Louis and more up into northern Missouri, oh, they're all into soda there. It does look like pop creeps its way down from Michigan and Ohio into some of northern Kentucky. Yikes, northern Kentucky. When you go over to Frisch's, you better not go in there and ask for a pop because you're technically in the south. You better ask for a Coke when you're at Frisch's Big Boy in northern Kentucky. I love me some Frisch's. Love, love the old, basically, Shoney's, if you're not familiar with Frisch's Big Boy. It's taking you back to a time where, for most of the south, Shoney's was so dominant. I had a conversation about Shoney's the other day. There are very few Shoney's left. But there are some hot spots left. But even in their old headquarters town of Nashville, that's where they were based out of. The one in Goodlettsville I know recently closed, so I can't go there. I don't know where I can go. If y'all know a good Nashville area Shoney's for me to stop by, please. And taking you way back to the 90s, I don't think there's a single one of these things left. Y'all remember Shoney's Inn, <laughs> where you could stay next to a Shoney's? That's a throwback. But the South is dominated by the usage of Coke. And it's solid throughout Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee. I will say, though, as you get toward the Atlantic seaboard, there's a push kind of going up, let's say, from Georgetown, South Carolina, to Wilmington and more. There's, according to this map from, from this website, you might just hear that awful word soda a little bit more than, let's say, down in, down in the heart of Dixie, if this map holds true. But we do, <laughs> we do, <coughs> we, I get so tickled talking about, we do love our Cokes, even if it's a Pepsi here in the South. And that's what we say when we go in. Thanks to BuzzNet for this fun conversation. And I think I'm going to go have me a Coca-Cola right now. That's not even one of the options. But if you're really wanting to play up your southernness, you don't say, hey, I want a Coke. You say, let me have a Coca-Cola. I want a Coca-Cola. Or if you're really rednecky southern, which I tend to be from time to time, you're going to change that out with, let me have a sun drop. Let me have a Barks Root Beer. Let me have a... I mean, in the South, basically, we can get specific with the drink that we actually want. We don't say soda and pop, for gosh sakes. You follow me? 
Let's go have a drink, y'all. That's another one. Hey, what do you want to drink? I, I want a drink. I love me some drinks. I love drinks, soft drinks, a.k.a. Cokes, as much as I love food. And that's saying something. I bet you a lot of y'all have the same altitude. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we got hour two coming your way. This is the Y'all Show powered by y'all.com. Thank you for listening. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood. But one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Homepage of the South presents this, the Y'all Show. We are the show powered by y'all.com. John, the general of all things Southern Raw, is my name, y'all. And great to be with you here on this Wednesday edition of our little program that we spend a few, a few hours each and every day going through the happenings of Dixie. And in this second hour today, we've got headlines from across the region that we'll be sharing with you, plus... We've got plenty of more coverage of SEC Media Days. Right now, they're in day three on Lower Broadway. But we're going to go back to Tuesday where we had a couple of coaches of some dog teams that we'll feature here in our second hour. We've got the head coach of the Georgia Dogs. That would be Kirby Smart. And then we got the head coach of those dogs out of Starkville in Octiba Hall County, Mississippi. Zach Arnett is the new coach of Mississippi State. And later this hour, we've got Audio from coaches Smart and Arnett that we'll be passing along as they were at the podium Tuesday as part of SEC Media Days. That's coming up this hour. And before the hour is over, we've got our Southern Business Spotlight of the Week. And we are doing a little bit of something out there, way out in the outdoors for today. We've got a look at the Appalachian Tra- Trail. If you have never hiked it, you're in luck. I'm going to tell you about it. But there are a handful of you out there who've actually made that trek from Georgia all the way to nearly Canada. And if you've done it, I want to hear about it. Drop me an email, mail at y'all.com. Tell me when you did it, what it was like. Do you recommend it? Would love to hear your feedback because there are very few people who can truly say, you know, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. But today I'm going to talk about the business side of the Appalachian Trail, the cost of hiking it. We've got a video from someone who's done it that I found, and we're going to let you hear how they budgeted their plan. And the good news is when you're on the Appalachian Trail, you're not having to pay rent and you're not having to pay a power bill, (laughs) but you do have to get food and supplies sent to you. And we'll kind of go through all that. It's completely a weird business spotlight that today I'll grant you that, but it, it ought to be fun again. A look at hiking the Appalachian Trail and just what that will set you back if you are thinking about doing it. All that in this hour of the Y'all Show. When we get to our final hour today, a reminder, we've got more headlines that we'll be sharing with you. Plus, we've got more from Nashville. In fact, the fourth of four coaches that were at the podium on Tuesday was Clark Lee of Vanderbilt University. 
and the head door. We'll have audio from him coming up in our final hour as he set the stage for what Vanderbilt fans can expect out of the VU program in 2023. So we got Clark Lee as well as a Southern History Spotlight coming your way in our final hour. And we're going to look back at the 1967 airplane crash that happened just outside of Asheville, North Carolina, a crash that took nearly 100 souls, and it was where two planes collided. And Piedmont Airlines was the air carrier that this devastating crash happened for. If you're old enough, you might remember that horrible crash of 1967, and it happened on this day in history. So we'll talk about all that again in our final hour of the Y'all Show. Let's dive back into some news headlines of today's Y'all Show. And we start off today in this hour of headlines about a story about Burger King. How about this? A manager in Union, South Carolina, that is not far from Charlotte, sandwiched in between Charlotte and Greenville, South Carolina, is where you'll find Union. Union, the hometown of one Susan Smith, if you remember that horrible case where she drowned her two kids 30 years ago. That's where we're talking about. The Union Police Department has said that the assistant manager of a Burger King there has now been arrested after she served dirty fries to customers. Officers were called to the restaurant on Duncan Bypass and Union in reference to a disturbance. And once the police arrived, officers heard two women arguing with the staff, making threats and using profanity. Police said an officer asked the woman to calm down. But they were still being loud and boisterous, according to the police report. The officer then arrested the woman on disorderly conduct charges. Two, day, uh, two days later, and I think we just had National Friday, like F-R-Y, on Thursday of last week. So maybe I think this might have been when this was. Two days after this event happened, on July 11th, Union Police Department received a complaint from headquarters with accusations being made that fries were thrown into a trash can and then served to customers. According to officers, 39-year-old Jamie Christine Major took fries from the trash and put them in the fry dump where freshly cooked fries were placed on top. Miss Major was arrested and charged with malicious tampering with human food right there in the Burger King in Union, South Carolina. Whopper, whopper, <laughs> uh, uh, have it your way, BK. I don't think they meant to have fries that were in the trash can, then put into the fry dump and put on people's in people's bags to go out the drive through window. But maybe it's just me. Again, this woman arrested and charged with malicious tampering with human food. She was an assistant manager there at that Burger King. There's some crazy stuff that happens in fast food restaurants. I should know. I've been to plenty of them in my life. I've seen people lose their you-know-what when it comes to fast food restaurants. I, I feel for our workers. Now, that leaves no place for a woman like this who, if true, put fries out of a trash can into the deep fryer and, and served them up to customers. That's... That ain't right, y'all. But, man, people just go bananas oftentimes at fast food restaurants. Now, if you don't mind, 
I'm going to brag on myself. The most recent case I have of a bad fast food experience happened at a chicken chain. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you which one it was. I won't tell you the location because they did me wrong. <laughs> they really did. But they they handled it well. That's why I'm going to brag on them. I went to Zaxby's. I ordered, I ordered, I think, a, a salad, one of their Cobb salads, which are delicious, by the way, and I hope very healthy. I ordered the Zaxby's Cobb salad. I got my drink. I went and sat down. I waited for them to call my name. Ten minutes go by. Twenty minutes go by. Thirty minutes go by. I'm thinking, it can't be that hard to make a salad. And this place was not that crowded. This was, man, I'm prone to go to restaurants a lot of times at 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, after the lunch crowd for sure. About 50 minutes after I placed my order, I finally had the the gumption to go up and call them out on it. And I said, look, I think y'all lost my order. Now, what happened, evidently, is somebody took my order accidentally. That's what happened. But the people there felt bad enough for me. And so you know what they did? They gave me my money back, and instead of telling me to hit the road, sorry, they gave me my money back, and they gave me a salad. So I essentially got a free meal. Now, it took me 50 extra minutes to get said free meal, but I thought that was a good way to handle it. And I was very nice about it. I didn't use expletives. I didn't raise my voice. I just kind of, honestly, when you get when you get the wrong end of a deal like this in a fast food, fast food restaurant, I mean, wh- what are they going to do? I mean, they're, they're not going to just open up the drawer and give you hundreds of dollars because they feel sorry that they cost you 45 minutes of your life. Most of them are there making very, very little money, could care less about you, the customer. They're just, they're just there because they got to be. And so in this case, the manager, she was very nice and she was very professional and she did a good job. That's the way you should handle it. Frankly, I should have probably called the corporate office and told them that this manager took a bad and turned it into, I won't say a wonderful thing because I still got messed over. But she did a good job. And you look, in a fast food restaurant, when there's a lot of orders coming in, drive through in the lobby and more, I can see where someone may have mixed up the order and taken my bag that should have been for me. It happens. I guess lesson learned for me after like 20 minutes in the future, I'm going to go ahead on up there and say, look, I think y'all lost my order then instead of waiting an extra 30 minutes. But I had this game I was playing that day. I was like, I'm, I'm going to wait till 50 minutes. I evidently was having a slow news day. <laughs> Y'all don't need to know about my pathetic Cobb chicken salad eating experiences anymore. But, but hey, again, Zaxby's, thank you for that. Now, I'm sure there have been other really bad experiences at uh, other Zaxby's, but this one was this one was good. This one was good. And again, I'm sure you all can recount seeing people come into a place and just treat the people so rude and so terrible. I saw this the other day at McDonald's. I was in there, and a woman comes in, and 
just goes nuts because her fries weren't hot enough. And I think the people just got them out of the fry thing. Now, unlike the Burger King in Union, South Carolina, I do believe these were not put in the trash can first, then put on the put in the bag to serve. This woman was just, as Trump would say, a nasty woman. And the people there, in my opinion, handled that about as good as you could. So let's just, the point is, let's just be a little nicer out there, y'all. And one way to be nicer is perhaps to head up to Cherokee, North Carolina. If you're into smoking the dope of the world, the Eastern Band of Cherokee, <laughs> they're going to have a vote to broaden the legalization of adult use of marijuana. They'll have a general election on September 7th, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians are going to vote that day on whether to legalize marijuana possession and sales on tribal lands for anybody 21 and older, not just for those seeking it for medical use that the North Carolina tribe has already been authorized to sell. And this, again, is going to be a big deal if it goes through. A, a, a financial boon to that section of Western North Carolina, but also there are going to be people coming from everywhere to smoke marijuana legally because you can't smoke marijuana legally in North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia. I don't think you can do it in Virginia. I don't think you can do it in West Virginia. All the states within a couple of hours driving distance. This is going to be high, high times in Western North Carolina. They got a casino there too already. This this is going to be big if this goes through. Again, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians voting on September 7th whether to legalize the good stuff. For some of you, I'm not a fan of it, although I've never tried it. Somebody get me one of those things. Just kidding. I'm fine. I'm fine, seriously. Because I'm hungry already. I I don't need to have that and get even more hungry. Alabama, the headline out of Montgomery. You might just have a new state capital coming to Montgomery. As lawmakers are looking perhaps to have a new state capital built. They've got mold issues in the current state capital of Alabama. They've got problems having meeting space. They've got very small facilities there in downtown Montgomery. So there's now a real, real chance that Alabama may start building a new state house. Now, part of the reason for that is they've got $200 million of federal pandemic relief funds available. That could be the driving force behind this, but we know now that a committee on Tuesday took this another step toward happening as they agreed to appoint a committee to negotiate a lease agreement. This is a 20-member panel of legislative leaders and appointed members, and they're going to try to negotiate a lease for a building that would be constructed by the Retirement Systems of Alabama. I said in hour one, that's the teachers, the educators of Alabama. If you're an educator in Alabama, they have been for a long time putting money toward retirement. And Alabama has a very, very good, solid fund for their educators. Mississippi, as far as I know, has a similar thing. And the Skyscape 
the skyline of Montgomery is pretty impressive, primarily because this Alabama retirement systems has gone in and helped build several office buildings in Montgomery. Most are used as state offices. And the proposed new state house would be located in a parking lot behind the existing state house in downtown Montgomery. So we'll find out if they start having drawings and more. We'll see what it looks like. I will say, though, that I have not, I've been to the outside of this Montgomery State House. I don't recall going inside. I'd like to. I'd like to because I like old buildings. And I need to pull this up. Alabama State House. Because I know that Montgomery was the original capital of the Confederacy in 1861. This is where Jefferson Davis first had a Confederate cabinet, was in Montgomery. And I need to make sure I'm right on the year that this thing was built. The Alabama State House. I'm not sure what. I need to study up on Alabama buildings. I, I could tell you, according to the first search I've got here, it shows that the State House first opened in 1963. So I'm not, I'm not sure what that's all about. What I was going to tell you is prior to Montgomery, the state capital of Alabama was actually Tuscaloosa. And if you ever have a chance to kind of on the western side of Tuscaloosa, they actually still have remnants of that 1830s, I think is when it was built. They still have the remnants of that original Alabama capital that was built in Tuscaloosa. And you can go there. It's it's a park. And you can go there and kind of stand where the legislators would have been back in the 1830s and 40s. And there's still sort of a circular remnants of this, of the, I guess the concrete they used to build that thing. And I don't remember if the Yankees and the reason that thing is no longer there. I'm going to actually pull that up. It's the old Alabama state capital in Capitol Park in Tuscaloosa. And Tuscaloosa actually succeeded Cahaba as Alabama state capital. I did not know that. Cahaba is in Dallas County in Alabama at the confluence of the Alabama and Cahaba rivers. That's near Selma. So they moved it from Cahaba to Tuscaloosa. And it was there. That's why the University of Alabama got built in Tuscaloosa because it was actually once the state capital. In fact, Alabama and its state capital in Alabama in Tuscaloosa was there from 1826 to 1846. That's the story of the Alabama state capital in Tuscaloosa. And it looks like that building in Montgomery, I don't know where I'm getting this stuff. I guess it was built for the state just after they moved it from Tuscaloosa. That's why they're trying to find a new place. This thing in Montgomery goes way back to the 1840s, uh, 14, 1846 is when the capital moved to Montgomery from Tuscaloosa. And it looks like they are going to be getting a new state capital if things progress there in the heart of Dixie. Let's move on from capital talk and building talk. I'm sure y'all have enjoyed that. <laughs> Let's talk about burgers again. We talked about fries a few minutes ago. In-N-Out Burger. 
They have those in the West. That's where they started out in California and Nevada and Arizona. They're making a push. They're going to be more In-N-Out Burger locations coming to the Southeast. And now In-N-Out Burger is taking a hard line stand against COVID masks in Nevada, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and our southern state of Texas. As In-N-Out is telling employees they no longer wear, they can no longer wear protective masks starting in August. I'm surprised they're the ones pushing for this. They don't want workers wearing masks. I guess they're getting too many complaints about customers saying these people are wearing masks. I, I don't know what they're saying when I go up to my counter and order and they, they're sitting there, blah, 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 to me. I don't know what the help me out there. So <laughs> In-N-Out Burger going to ban employees from wearing masks in those states. I don't know the last time. Oh. There's a subway I go to, and there's a guy at that subway who wears a mask all the time, and he's a young guy. And I just believe that there are some people, thanks to COVID, that the mask gives them a chance to hide or become another person, and they just like wearing masks. There's no reason for this guy to be wearing a mask at a subway. All the time, but he does. I tell you what, if you worked at In N Out Burger, they'd be telling him, Hey, you need to take that dang thing off and take it off now. <laughs> All right, lastly, here in our headlines for this hour of the Y'all Show Hey, if you haven't been to Maryland lately, we got the perfect reason for you to go to Maryland because the world's tallest rubber duck is coming to Maryland for a spectacular display. It's a 61-foot-tall rubber duck named Mama Duck, and it's coming to Maryland in the next few days. It'll be in southern Maryland in Leonardtown, August 4th through 6th, Chrisfield on Maryland's eastern shore from August 11th through 13th. Mama Duck is believed to be the largest rubber duck in the world. The duck weighs nearly 8,000 pounds. Now, why in the world someone would have an 8,000-pound rubber duck is beyond me. But that's the case with Mama Duck. It's huge. I've seen the picture. It's, it's kind of impressive. I don't think you'd want to try to have that in your bathtub at night. But it, on the eastern shore of Maryland, you can see this rubber duck, the world's largest rubber duck. It's, of course, yellow. It's cute. It's a cute thing. But it's coming to Maryland soon. And <laughs> make your appropriate vacation plans to go see this $8,000, 8,000-pound, 8, gosh knows how many dollars it costs us to build this thing, rubber ducky in Maryland. <laughs> Some people just have money to blow, it looks like. But it's cute. It is cute. And it's going to look real nice right there. It's a rubber duck. It has to be out in the water. It's kind of like a ship, but it's a rubber duck. Check it out. Check it out. Let me know what you think. That wraps up our news headlines. When we come back on y'all in this second hour, we've got a quick update on SEC Media Days, a recap of day two. We've got the Bulldog coaches, Kirby Smart of Georgia and Zach Arnett of Mississippi State. Audio from both of those guys as they were at the podium Tuesday. We'll tell you all about it when the y'all show comes right back. 
And how about them dogs? All you Georgia fans, you got a lot to crow about these days. Your two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, Athens, stand up. We're the Y'all Show, and we're talking about all things SEC football as the media days for the Southeastern Conference held this week. It's going on until Thursday, and day two held on Tuesday. And at the podium on Tuesday, you had Kirby Smart of the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. We're going to hear from him momentarily. In a few minutes, though, we've got the other Bulldogs of the SEC coach that we'll hear from as the new head coach of Mississippi State, Zach Arnett, at the podium on Tuesday. We'll hear what he has to say about taking over this program after a very successful run by the late Mike Leach. Sadly, we lost Mike Leach right at the end of 2022, and Arnett comes aboard and guides this program, and we'll learn a little bit more about him. So we he's got a great opportunity in Stark Vegas So we've got two coaches of the SEC, plus we'll tell you a little bit more about what to expect here on day three with more coaches, including Nick Saban at the microphone today. But let's go back to Tuesday when the visored one was at the podium. Kirby Smart, he's had one heck of a run here lately in college football. And here's Coach Smart being smart about talking at the podium in front of all those media pundits at SEC Media Days 2023. Um, you know, 19 of my 25 years coaching has been served in the SEC footprint. I think that's pretty cool. And you can actually go 24 of 30 when you include the five years uh, that I played at Georgia. But 19 of the 25 years has been in that footprint. I'm very comfortable in that footprint. I enjoy the SEC footprint. Listening to uh, Commissioner Sankey yesterday talk about all the accolades of this conference. I mean, I love it. I love going to, to see uh, uh, or seeing two baseball programs in the SEC finals. The women's basketball, our conference dominant. All the spring sports that we compete in seem so dominant. I love and embrace SEC athletics. So I want to give a, a, a quick thanks to all our fan bases. I mean, the SEC is just different. And when you think about the fan bases in our conference, they make it what it is. They allow us to recruit to the largest attendance uh, in the country, and uh, it makes our job much easier uh, when, you, when you're in the best conference there is in the country. So this offseason, how have I spent this offseason? I think when, you, when, I, when I think about that, the first thing I think about is July because the only time that we have anything off as coaches is end of June and July. And uh, my family and I went on a family vacation there for about a week in July. And then I got to enjoy uh, what my mother started about 13 years ago. And she's so proud of, she calls it Julymus. Julymus is Christmas in July. And uh, because we have bowl games as coaches, we don't get to kind of celebrate Christmas as a family. So we bring my brother's family, my sister's family, my parents, eight grandchildren, all under one roof for three to four days. And my parents absolutely love it. I don't know that my wife always does, but uh, my family really enjoys it and we get to have a good time. I also got to spend uh, five days in the SEC footprint in Mississippi. Travel baseball dad, which is uh, fun and exhilarating, um, but my wife wants to go to Italy and the Amalfi Coast, and instead we spent it in Mississippi for five days in South Haven. And I enjoyed every minute of that, and getting to be a, a travel baseball dad's uh, something I enjoy. But 
our staff, our team, our university, our entire dog nation uh, went through one of the highest of highs in January, which was to win back-to-back CFP championships, which had never been done. Uh, We then um, endured the loss of two dear family members, Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix. We love them and we miss them. So many people have stepped up for our players uh, within our organization during this time of need. Uh, One of the toughest things I've ever been through as a coach was to experience that. Uh, But some of the leadership that really helped us, we have a rising star in our athletic department in Doris Griffin. She's been there for me, our players, and so many others during these tough times. She's our senior deputy director of athletics um, and the sport facilitator for football. Uh, Thomas Settles, our team chaplain. What an incredible asset he has been for both our players, our coaches, and people in our organization. You know, a tragedy can either divide or unite us. I'm proud of our players. It has definitely brought them closer together and united our team and our family. And that's Kirby Smart again from Tuesday's SEC Media Days. More of the -the off-the-field items, but a, a closer glimpse of the man himself talking about his family vacation. I love that Jalimus thing that the Smart family does with he and his siblings and his mom getting together and having a few Christmas gifts in July. That's a smart thing. And then hearing him talk about being a travel ball dad, spending five days in South Haven in North Mississippi right beside Memphis, going to all the, I guess, Snowden Park is where that is, where they would have all the travel ball fun for a travel ball team evidently out of Athens, Georgia, going all the way to northwest Mississippi for a few days in July. Jeez, I could think of worse places to be. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't think they've got any of those things indoors. So what I'm talking about there is the heat that Kirby Smart would have endured being a uh, spectator in the stands in South Haven at a little baseball game. But you know what? The guy can endure heat. Kirby Smart has been one heck of a coach and his roughly he's coming up on 10 years on the job in Athens. Mark Rick, his predecessor was a very good coach. Mark Rick was a very good man. Mark Rick was a very successful coach at UGA with SEC championships, tremendous players, packed houses. He's one of the fellows. I think Mark Rick still lives in Athens. But Mark Rick couldn't win the SEC championship. He he couldn't win the national championship. And that's why, ultimately, UGA, which has always viewed themselves as an elite program, even though Georgia Tech had been the program in that state that had won the most recent national championship in 1990 with Bobby Ross leading the way, Georgia couldn't sit back and let Clemson continue to be a dominant football program an hour and a half away. They couldn't let Alabama dominate. They couldn't see more of the Floridas, their rival to the south. Arguably their biggest SEC rival is Florida. And so they did something about it. They brought in this guy who was a defensive genius on Nick Saban's staff, and he's done a good job. Former Bulldog player, of course, himself. He was nearly hired at Ole Miss back when there was a change with I guess it would have been Houston Nutt. I think Kirby Smart was in contention for the job 
and they went with Hugh Freeze. I think I'm right on that. And boy, what a job he's done. And and to his credit, it was that loss in his first year in Oxford has really been the worst loss in his whole time as a head coach. They got throttled in the 2015-2014 season, whenever that was. And I can't think of one other throttling that Georgia's had to endure while Kirby Smart's been coaching. They've been winning, and if they've lost, it's only been by a hair now. They, they're the best. You know why? Because they're the two-time defending national champion. And you heard in that clip there, not only did Kirby Smart talk about the highest of highs, he talked about the lowest of lows. He had a player get killed. Hours after that national championship celebration back in January, he had a staffer, LaCroix, get killed driving the car. And they're not holding back, as he said. They've got tremendous staff members that have built unity through this tragedy. But he's a good one. He's doing a heck of a job. Could Georgia go for the three-peat? As he said, UGA is the first team with back-to-back CFP titles. Alabama came close, but Georgia's the one that's done it. How about them hairy dogs? Now let's move over and tell you about Mississippi State. As Zach Arnett was on stage Tuesday, yes, Tuesday, on day two of SEC Media Days. He's the new coach of Mississippi State. He comes to Starkville, taking over for Mike Leach, who we sadly lost to tragedy as he died right at the end of the 2022 regular season. Zach Arnett actually coached Mississippi State in the bowl game, and that was a win for MSU in the ReliaQuest Bowl. Named interim head coach after Leach was hospitalized December 11th, and then after Leach's death, he was promoted to full-time head coach. This guy is out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. He played for the Lobos as a linebacker 2005 to 2008. He's been primarily before coming to MSU. He was at San Diego State for a number of years. And in 2020, he came to State as a defensive coordinator and now head coach of Mississippi State, the New Mexico native Zach Arnett. At 36 years young, a young guy leading the bullies. Tuesday, the young guy wearing his maroon tie on stage at Media Days. Talking about his maroon program in front of all the media pundits. Here's Mississippi State football coach Zach Arnett. Let them cowbells ring, sir. I I want to talk about the most important thing, most important part of any program. The players. All right. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have three players here with me today who embody all that is good about college athletics, in particular Mississippi State football. All right. On offense, we've got a quarterback, Will Rogers, and running back, Woody Marks. And on defense, our defensive tackle, Jaden Cromedy. Okay. And r- rather than stand up here and read off their stats and accolades, right, I'll just simply say this. Right, if we polled our entire football program, Players, coaches, everyone in the building. And if we pulled everyone involved in the program and told them to name the most consistent guys in our program in terms of how they show up to work every day, right, with work ethic, 
the level of effort with which they play the game with, right, these three seniors would be at the top of that list. Okay, I mean, simply put, right, they are football guys. They are Mississippi State guys. Right? They embody the Bulldog mentality. Okay? And we are really fortunate as a coaching staff. Right? We have at least a dozen more seniors back in Starkville right now, just like these guys. Okay, we, right, we have a core group of returning upperclassmen and senior and junior class who've played a lot of football, and they know what it takes to compete and win and the level of strain that is required in this conference. All right, so hopefully under their leadership, right, by the end of August and by the end of training camp, hopefully those same two things right, will be said about our entire football team. And that's the coach there of Mississippi State, Zach Arnett. The Bulldogs begin the 2023 season hosting the Lions of southeastern Louisiana. That game is set for Davis Wade Stadium at 3 o'clock on September Second, the Bulldogs have Arizona coming in to Davis Wade September 9th, and then they get SEC play underway against LSU at home on the 16th of September. But this man leading the program after the loss of the Pirate last year, and I'll tell you what, it's going to be tough not having Mike Leach involved in college football because he certainly made the game a lot more fun, both with his play calling and his personality. But we wish this man, Zach Arnett, the best in Stark Vegas, leading the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. Coming up in our final hour today, we're going to hear from Clark Lee, head coach of Vanderbilt, as he was the final coach at the podium on Tuesday for day two. Day three today, and the coaches at the podium that you'll be hearing from on our Thursday Y'all Show, Nick Saban of Alabama is in Nashville today for media days. Also, Arkansas's Sam Pittman, Florida's Billy Napier, and Mark Stoops of the Kentucky Wildcats will have information on all four of those guys coming up on our Thursday Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap Hour 2 up with a little fun. Take a hike, okay? All right, well, indeed, we want you to take a hike, if you're thinking seriously about that, to the Appalachian Trail. We've got our Southern Business Spotlight. I'm going to tell you about some of the financials. If, indeed, you're thinking about hitting the trail, As July is coming to a close, you might want to start from the north and work your way south on the Appalachian Trail. What would that actually cost? We'll fill you in. It's Trail Talk, and it's up next on Y'all. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. 
2236. See me, Tree Service, powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line. You should ride me on the trail. I hope to God you're doing well. Unfold your letters in the rain. Cause I know they'll take away the pain. Find the moon on a crisp, clean night. And you'll stare into your lover's eyes Off the big dipper shines a northern star I follow to where you are Don't get a rambling heart on me, baby Spring to spring so the sooner you can save me Summer all way through May, got my mind on you. So to God, I pray, let my love, let my sweet love be back. That's a song called Appalachian Trail Song from Will Overman. And we're going to talk about the AT for a few minutes here as part of our Southern Business Spotlight and the business of the Appalachian Trail. This thing, many, many of you have at least attempted to do it, even more of you have thought about doing it i'm in that category it's an over 2100 mile trail that stretches from springer mountain georgia all the way to mount cahedon in maine huge huge trail one of the largest hiking trails in the world if not the largest the appalachian trail and if you've ever thought about going here on our southern business spotlight i'm going to give you a little information about it it might inspire you to actually hit the trail and you can do that it's a free country y'all you can do it by the way if you want to go this time of year we encourage you to start up in maine and come south the southbound through hike this is the time of year to launch that the first half of july is when you want to do that because if you go any other time of year you're going to have poor conditions in maine and You'll have problems with mud and down trees from the previous winter and more. So for southbounders, this is the time of year. By the way, I was looking up the quickest time someone's hiked the more than 2,000 miles of the Appalachian Trail. It was about a 45-day hike for one person. A little bit further, they were going from the south to the north. And then it's a little further for the person that's hiked the most going from south to north to south, rather. So, what about the business side of the Appalachian Trail? There's a YouTube channel that I found called Packed and Soul, and they've got information that I want to share with you on that very aspect about if you're looking to go, what are we, what are kind of are we looking at in terms of cost? And this YouTube channel discovers that right now, and we're going to listen. Next on the list is gear repair. This can be anything like your fuel cost for your stove, to say your backpack breaks and you need to kind of get a new one or something like that. I bought an Ursac uh, and used it as a bear bag for a while to of course your shoes, of which I bought four pairs along the way. This came out to a total of $635.12. 
my gear actually held up pretty well. So I didn't need to buy a new pack or a new tent or a new sleeping bag or anything like that, which would have been obviously several hundred dollars more. Next is the really big cost for me, and that's resupplies for food and in-town meals. This is what I spent most of my money on. Hiker hunger is quite a sight to behold. So most of my funds went to food and in-town meals that I could not refuse. When I'm descending into a town, the only thing I'm thinking about is burger and a beer. That's what I want. So I would not and should not deprive myself of that luxury. I did a resupply like every three or four days or so, and that usually turned out to about between 40 and $70 depending. But the total cost for all things food was $2,719.92. Hey, that's pretty good information. Again, for most of the hikers on the Appalachian Trail, they can stretch this thing out over a few months. So $2,000 for food, and you think about it, stacking it up for several months, not a bad deal. Just saying, if you want to save a little money, y'all can go out and hit the Appalachian Trail sometime if you if you want to. But y'all go first. I'm not going to volunteer here on the Y'all Show for that. That wraps up our second hour. We've got more Southern Greatness coming up in Hour 3 of this, the show that shakes the Southland. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. for the South. I'm John Rawl, and this is the Y'all Show. If you've got a little Southern pride, we are the program that's all about you, baby. We are Southern, and we have no apologies coming your way, because we realize the South is where it's going on, man. It's where it's at. And that's why we have this program called Y'all, powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. In this final hour of our Wednesday edition, we've got more headlines from talking about French fries out of the trash can in Union, South Carolina, to Louisiana politics. We've got all the news headlines of the day that we'll be sharing with you here in our final hour. Also, we'll take you to Nashville for our final coaches report of the day. We've already heard earlier this show from the head coach of the Auburn football team, one, Hugh Freeze. We've heard from the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart, in hour two, as well as the new coach of Mississippi State, Zach Arnett. And now this hour, Nashville's own Vanderbilt Commodores coach, Clark Lee. He was at the podium on Tuesday, 
And Coach Lee's going to help us wrap up day two of Media Days. We're underway today with day three with coaches like Nick Saban and Sam Pittman at the podium. We'll have a full report on those guys on our Thursday Y'all Show, but we will have plenty of SEC Media Days talk coming up a little later. Plus, we'll mix in information on the Open Championship as golf's final major about to tee off at Royal Liverpool. All that information coming up in our sports news of the day. And then as we kind of wrap things up here in our final segment today, we're going to take you back to 1967. That was the year on this date in 1967 that a tragedy happened just outside of Asheville, North Carolina, when two planes collided and we lost nearly 100 Southern souls. And I'll fill you in on that tragedy from 1967 as part of our Southern History Spotlight. That's coming up later in the hour. If you would like to get in touch with us at y'all, it's really easy. I mean, extremely easy. All you got to do is pick up that cell phone. If you've got a mail program and type out M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. If you would rather text us, we welcome text 615-208-4184. That's a 24-hour-a-day text line that you can reach us here at the Y'all Show. Also want to remind you that the Y'all Show, available on awesome radio stations across the Southeast. Thank you for listening to us if you're catching us on one of our terrestrial radio stations. And a reminder that you can listen to this show in podcast form. We are absolutely free of charge. You can find us on great podcast options like Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, Apple Podcast, and Apple iTunes. In any of those apps, you just simply need to search Y'all Show in the little search icon. And voila, we're right there with the Y'all Show. Red and black logo that says Y'all Show just Push the appropriate button to subscribe, and you'll be all set when we have a new edition of the Y'all Show published each day. It'll come right to your fancy little device, and you won't miss a word of what we've got to say about the South. All right here on the show that is truly the South's talk show. We are the Y'all Show. Let's get into our news headlines to wrap up our third and final hour of the day. And we've got a couple of stories coming in from the Pelican State. Authorities in Louisiana have now identified a former shipyard worker, Willis Thomas, 31 years old, of Harvey, Louisiana. They've identified him as the man who went on a shooting spree and killed two of his ex-co-workers. And earlier this week, the 31-year-old was killed in a shootout with sheriff's deputies. And this was after he had killed those two ex-co-workers, gunned them hours down hours before he was killed. This happened in Jefferson Parish in Harvey, Louisiana. The parish sheriff, Joe Lapinto, said that deputies tracked Thomas to his apartment at a couple hours after he killed two of his former co-workers, a 48-year-old named Nike James Brown and 20-year-old Dustin Perry Jr. killed them at FM. T shipyard. It remains unclear why Thomas had been fired at the shipyard or why he shot those two men, but a workplace incident here. And he goes back and shoots these two kills them. And then the sheriff's deputies from that parish kill him Monday in a shootout in Louisiana. 
to Baton Rouge we go, and the Republican-dominated legislature on Tuesday overturned Governor John Bell Edwards' recent veto of a ban on gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Governor Edwards is a Democrat. Louisiana is where this ban is scheduled to go into effect now January 1st of 2024, as the Pelican State joins 20 other states that have enacted laws that restrict or ban gender-affirming medical care, and that includes puberty blockers, hormone treatment, and gender reassignment surgery. Most of those states that have done this face lawsuits now, and in some places the bans have been temporarily blocked by federal judges, as I expect that will happen in the state of Louisiana, just like we've seen in other southern states. I think Virginia in the news for a similar measure this week. Moving now to the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis has a little bit of an unusual take on what happened Tuesday with former President Donald Trump. Donald Trump, early on Tuesday, announced on his Truth Social that he had received this letter saying that he was going to likely be indicted by the Department of Justice. On Tuesday, the governor of Florida and a 2024 campaign of his own going on for Ron DeSantis. He was interviewed by CNN's Jake Tapper. It was good to see DeSantis on CNN, by the way. And in this interview with Tapper, DeSantis said that he hopes former President Donald Trump does not get charged in connection with January 6th. He says he doesn't think it will be good for the country. Ron DeSantis said if he becomes president, he will make big changes at the Department of Justice and would appoint a new FBI director on day one. As he added in the interview, you have a situation where the Justice Department and FBI have been weaponized against people they don't like. And that's true. What we saw with Christopher Wray and all the shenanigans that have been going on, and there's two sets of justice, it appears, in Washington, D.C., And if you're a Trump-loving person, you're on the short end of the scale of justice. And that's not just an opinion. There are people, take Trump out of the equation, there are people who've been charged that should not be charged for things. There are people who've had their lives ruined over frivolous charges brought up by this FBI and this Justice Department. It's a dang shame. And this is why... It's easy to try to throw Trump to the curb and say, Trump, come on, man. You just got too much baggage. We just, you just can't win, man. Let it go. Let it go. You could have that philosophy, but the problem is Trump truly has been in so many ways screwed. He's been screwed and he's ticked off about it. And only Trump would probably still be in this race. Everybody else would have given in would have taken some kind of plea, would have gone on a book tour and totally just fallen victim to whatever criticism they're pushing here. Trump's a different kind of creature, as we all know that. And you feel that maybe he's got an axe to grind. And if somehow Trump could 
stay in this race and somehow actually win in 2024, would he be able to fix this problem? Would he be able to, you, you, Ron DeSantis said he's going to go in and clean house at the Justice Department FBI on day one. But Trump really, hopefully, will have that opportunity. DeSantis is a great backup plan. DeSantis needs to keep taking care of Florida. It's his choice to run. He's running. He's still a young guy. The guy's not even, I don't think, 45 yet. If not, he's right at it. He's got plenty of time. But it's Trump's time if you're a conservative. And most people feel the same way I'm saying. This is a little opinion here, but come on. Trump has such a huge lead on this thing because people see through a lot of this stuff. He's about to have four major legal problems that he's having to deal with. Two of those four things he's already been indicted on. The Stormy Daniels hush money case, which should never have happened. And then he's got the Mar-a-Lago documents case, which should never have happened. It's weird that Joe Biden and Mike Pence and others can do similar things and they get away with it, but, but Trump can't. And then this latest thing is going to likely happen. That's the January 6th probe. That's what Trump was out saying on Tuesday. that he's get, He got this letter on Sunday, a warning letter that he's going to be charged, it looks like. And there's no doubt that in Atlanta, Georgia, Fonnie Willis, the DA there in Fulton County, she's going to come up with a case against him. He's going to have four pending legal cases that he's going to have to fight off. He's going, to, he's going to have to open up his own law firm. He's going to have to get Johnny Morgan for the people to come help him out. If Johnny Morgan even does that kind of, is that his name? John Morgan. John Morgan for the people. Um, he's going to have to do something because he's been going through a lot of lawyers lately. And it, it's a confusing time to be a Trump defense, you know, Trump defense attorney. You got four different cases. They're not all the same. They're all, yeah, they all tie into Donald John Trump, but they are all different in their own way. Now, some of this Trump brought on himself. There should not be a Stormy Daniels in his life. That should not be happening. Did he likely sleep with this woman? Probably. Should he? No. When did he? Right when his wife gave birth to Baron. If that's true, pretty low down, don't you think? But that was before he was president. And who among us is innocent? Anybody out there not sinning these days? If so, I want to hear. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Trump just needs to be more realistic. He needs to come out when this is all over with and say, look, I'm not a perfect guy. I make mistakes. I sin. But when it all comes down to it, and he's hinted at this before, but he just needs to keep hammering this thing. This is a terrible comparison. But it really is kind of what Trump is. And I mean no disrespect to the the one and only. But in some ways, there is a little bit of a comparison to Trump and Jesus Christ. And the reason is because Trump 
unlike any other normal human being, has taken all this criticism and taken all these legal cases and this venom, people that just lose their mind over Donald John Trump. And he's been able to withstand it somehow, some way, when nobody else would. Only Donald Trump, as he would say. And he's taken all this. He's taken the lashes. He's taken it. And and Jesus, of course, this is not the same. I don't want to, absolutely don't want to make you think that I'm putting Trump and Jesus Christ on the same level or not. But Trump's taken the abuse. And so the question is, why would he do that? We know Jesus took all this and the dying on the cross and he suffered a horrible death for our salvation. We know that. That's why Jesus did that for us. Trump is taking all of this abuse and all of this silliness and he's been dealing with it for years. Why would he do that? Why would any man do this? He's had a good life. He doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to do anything. Why would he keep putting up with this junk? This man might end up dying in jail. Why? And the reason is, similar to Jesus, did it for our salvation so that we would see that the only way to heaven would be through Jesus Christ and an acknowledgement that he died on the cross for our salvation and our sin forgiven because of Jesus and his sacrifice. Trump's doing all this because he believes in America. And he believes that truly he can make America great again. And if you go back and look at his policies and look at his time in office, he did a heck of a job in most cases. He really didn't make a positive difference for this country. And so you're darn right. He's willing to take all of this criticism and all of these legal maneuvers and all these people that are out to have a press conference and attack him. He's been dealing with this kind of stupid stuff for 50 years. And so this now on a little bit different level isn't that foreign to Donald John Trump. And I think he's truly doing it, not for his own self-serving way. He is a little thin-skinned when it comes to his loyalty and people not always behind him a thousand percent. But he'll tell you that he's doing this for America, that he believes that he is the best solution for America. And you know what? When he talks about how there would not be a war in Ukraine right now if he were president, I kind of have to believe him. There was talks that we would be in a war with North Korea prior to his presidency. I kind of have to believe him. He really did bring North Korea closer to the United States, at least for a short time. Now, we heard... (laughs) This week where a U.S. soldier has now moved across the DMZ and has essentially defected to the North Korean army. What's that all about? But Trump out there fighting for y'all, I guess is what my point is. And so 
getting back to Ron DeSantis, he he's essentially still playing nice with Trump. They they've been going after each each other kind of uh, uh, pillow fight. I don't still think they've gotten into it heavy, but I, I realize that Trump might just might he's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. So. That's why the polls are indicating. I think I heard him say the other day that he had one poll come out that he had something like an 80 percentile lead in the Republican primary. I didn't believe him, and then I saw something out where he had an 80 percentage lead. He likes his polls. He sure does. So DeSantis not piling on against his competitor on the Republican side on Tuesday, when the news came out that Trump would be likely getting indicted for January 6th. Let's take you to Union, South Carolina, where they had a little bit of a a scuffle there back on July 9th. Officers called to the Burger King on Duncan Bypass in Union, South Carolina. They show up to this disturbance, and on scene, the Union Police Department officers heard women arguing with the staff, making threats and using profanity. Police said an officer asked the women to calm down, but they still kept on being loud and boisterous. The officer ended up arresting the women on disorderly conduct charges. Then, two days later, July 11th, police in Union received a complaint from headquarters with accusations being made that fries were thrown into a trash can and then served to the customers. And a 39-year-old assistant manager at that Burger King, a woman named Jamie Christine Major, arrested and alleged that she took fries from the trash and put them in the fry dump where freshly cooked fries were placed on top. Why would she do such a thing? The woman arrested and charged with malicious tampering with human food. I wonder if she's going to get French fries served to her in prison. This assistant manager of a Burger King in Union, South Carolina. More fast food fun. In-N-Out Burger, that's the hamburger joint that's got a big presence out in California and Arizona and Nevada. In-N-Out Burger is now telling their employees to stop wearing masks for COVID, saying that employees can no longer wear protective masks Starting August 1st, a customer who works in a similar fast food environment said workers probably welcome the ban because some places evidently still are pushing people to wear masks with their jobs. In-N-Out Burger, they want they want to go maskless there. And some of their locations are in Texas. So Texans that work at In-N-Out, you're going to have to start showing your face in August, as they're banning employees from wearing masks inside their restaurants. And our last headline of the day comes to us from Maryland. The world's largest rubber duck coming to the state of Maryland for a display in the waters of the eastern shore. A 61-foot-tall rubber duck named Mama Duck will be coming to Maryland for the first time ever in just a few weeks. He'll be in the southern Maryland town of Leonardtown, August 4th through 6th, and in Chrisfield in Maryland on the eastern shore there, August 11th through 13th. 
This is, again, a 61-foot-tall rubber ducky that weighs nearly 8,000 pounds. It's a whopper. And if you're in Maryland soon, and if you out there in the waterways of the Chesapeake Bay and you're goofing off there on your jet ski and you look up and you see a big giant yellow thing, it's not you probably being drunk. It truly is the world's largest rubber duck hanging out in Maryland. I don't know where this thing came from. I don't think it's an American duck, come to think of it. But it is uh, a duck that's been out in various countries like Canada before. And it's going to be in Maryland soon, so check it out. This 61-foot-tall mama duck rubber duck coming to Maryland soon. And it sure would make a good selfie. Where's Miranda Lambert when you need her? That wraps up our headlines of this final hour of our conversation that we call the Y'all Show, where we go through the headlines and more and find the things that, frankly, other sources just don't talk about. It's not a big enough news story nationwide, perhaps. It's not important enough. It's not national enough. But here at the Y'all Show, we think all of our stories that we share with you ought to be at least stories that make you go, hmm, that's interesting. And so that's why we bring them to your attention each and every day that we get together. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to switch over from talking about the news items of the day to SEC Media Days and a little golf talk as well. We've got Clark Lee, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, queued up and coming at you next as he was part of day two of SEC Media Days. That fun is up next. Anchor down, y'all. Vandy, Vandy, oh, heck yeah. We're the Y'all Show, and we cover all things Southern. It's the SEC Media Days taking place this week in Vanderbilt's backyard. Lower Broadway in Nashville is where Media Days is being held for the very first time there in Davidson County. And on Tuesday, Clark Lee, the third-year head coach of Vanderbilt, took the stage and answered questions. And here on the Y'all Show, we're going to wrap up our day two wrap-up of hearing coaches talk. We've already heard here in the Y'all Show today from Auburn coach Hugh Freeze. We've heard from Kirby Smart of the Georgia Bulldogs. We've also heard an hour two from the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Zach Arnett. So in our final hour here, the guy that grew up right there in the Nashville area, Clark Lee, he went to Vanderbilt, played fullback for the Doors, I think in the Woody Woodenhofer era. I think. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm making him older than he is. Woody Woodenhofer was there in the mid-90s. Now, he played for Bobby Johnson when Bobby Johnson was coaching the Doors 2002, 3, 4, 5 time period back when Jay Cutler was cutting a, a, a number or two for the Vanderbilt Commodores and, and doing a good job there before he went on to the NFL. Clark Lee is a likable guy. In fact, congratulations to Coach Lee. He just got a contract extension. Way to go, Coach Lee. 
And Vanderbilt was much improved in 2022. They knocked off teams like Kentucky and came within a whisker of going bowling and look for Vanderbilt to keep the momentum in 2023. We're going to hear from Coach Lee right now. And before we get out of here with our sports report, we actually have some Vanderbilt basketball news to pass along to you in just a second. But let's start again going back to Tuesday during day two of the SEC Media Days. Coach Lee at the podium, and he's talking about, in this clip, Vanderbilt's improving defense. Yeah, we, you know, we have to find the best 11 on both sides. Um, and, um, you know, we do return some snaps at corner, but that doesn't mean that we feel like um, that gives us the best chance to win just because they played a bunch. You know, this is about finding the people that are capable in the moment, uh, obviously in, in, a, in a game now that is won and lost on the perimeter. So we have to give our young players a chance to develop in fall camp. Obviously, we have some second-year players that are um, further along in their progress that we expect to have uh, a role on our team. Um, we also have um, a true freshman that comes in with the chance to make an impact too. And um, one of the great, you know, the way we start our season won't almost assuredly won't be the way we finish our season. And so part of the formula here is always having the patience to see that level of performance, um, you know, come to the surface. If you remember a year ago, you know, C.J. Taylor started as kind of a fringe contributor on our defense and became really our most dynamic play, playmaker on that side of the ball. That'll happen at some level this year, too. And so what, what, our, what our goal here is in fall camp is to get all those guys exposure, and they're going to be guarding some SEC-level receivers now. We have a good receiving core, um, and it's not always going to look pretty. But for us, it's to be patient enough to see that through, to keep coaching and develop, developing them through both their wins and their losses and their reps and to see how that group matures through camp and where we're ready to start the season. And at the point at which we put the ball down against Hawaii, you know, we don't stop evaluating at that point. We'll still look for the, the highest level of performance, and that gives those young players time to build into a, to an impact role. Okay, we'll go right in front to your right, third row. Hey, Coach, uh, Alvar Richardson from orangebloods.com. Uh, big picture question, Coach. Uh, next season, Texas joins the SEC, and obviously they'll be traveling uh, to your house. Uh, your impressions on just Texas and anything you could say about them, uh, and then what kind of team can Texas expect to face once they see you guys in 2024? Well, you know, I'm, I'm obviously um, you're talking to a football coach ahead of fall camp, so my, my scope is pretty narrow right now. Um, I'm excited about the way the league's expanding. Um, I think, obviously, you know, to add Texas and Oklahoma is, is a statement. And um, as a competitor, no matter where you are, if you're a real competitor, you're looking to measure yourself against the very best. That's what our league allows us to do, right? So um, no matter who we play against this year or next year, the goal is that they play against a team that – knows perfectly who they are, um, plays to an identity, and has weaponized that identity to puncture the shell of the opponent. And I want everyone we play against to leave the field having learned something about themselves because that Vanderbilt group is really tough and relentless and never stops and also has the weapons to be dangerous. And so, um, you know, we're a work in progress that, that way. A year ago, we 
we were inconsistent with how we showed up. This year we'll be a little further along. By the time Texas comes to town, hopefully we'll be ready to play Vanderbilt football from the first snap to the last. Very well said. Clark Lee, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, and already with that question thinking about 2024. But here, let's talk about 2023. And VU is going to actually be playing in what we call week zero of college football. Their first game against the Warriors of Hawaii is going to be in Nashville August 26th. That's a full week before most teams even start playing. And that was a big win last year. Vanderbilt, in their first game of the year, went all the way out to Honolulu and beat Hawaii. After they got behind, they roared back and just beat them like a drum. And now Hawaii comes back to Tennessee for the return game. And is Vanderbilt going to be able to back it up with a second straight win over the Hawaii Warriors? Let's hope so. August 26th is the first game for Clark Lee in 2023. That's a nighttime game there at the uh, the old Vanderbilt Stadium, which they have renamed, I believe, First South Stadium or something like that. So that's going on for Vanderbilt game one. Their second game is against the Bulldogs of Alabama A&M. Then they're at Wake Forest, at UNLV. Then they open Kentucky with Kentucky and Nashville to start SEC play. And if you look at Vanderbilt's schedule, I'm going to go ahead and give them three of the first four games all wins. I'm going to say they're going to beat Kentucky. That's four wins. They've got Missouri coming in on September 30th. That's a winnable game. They play Florida at Florida. They beat Florida last year. Remember that? I'm not going to say they're going to beat them this year, but heck, why not? Five wins. Vanderbilt should go to a bowl game this year. They really should. The back half of their schedule is pretty tough. They've got games against Georgia. The Dogs come to Nashville on October 14th. The rivalry with Mississippi at least continues for one more year. They're not going to be playing each other when Texas and OU comes, at least in 24. But Mississippi comes on the schedule as Vanderbilt will be playing at Oxford October 28th. Vanderbilt has got Hugh Freeze coming back to Nashville as an Auburn coach November 4th. VU's at South Carolina November 11th and at Tennessee to wrap things up on November 25th. But the Clark Lee era, again, he just got a contract extension. Things are looking pretty good for Clark Lee in his hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, leading this Vanderbilt football program with their first game, again, August the 26th. Day three of SEC Media Days is today. And we'll have audio recaps of the coaches at the podium that will be there today on our Thursday Y'all Show. AL.com has an article titled Five Things to Expect on Day 3 of SEC Media Days 2023. And Craig Stevenson has penned this. And so the five things that he's got to look out for today. Number one, Nick Saban will bristle at depth chart questions but give great answers anyway. Okay. Saban always... Uh, kind of is, is, is an ARSA, uh, an arse, when he's up in front of the podium, in, in my opinion, okay? Saban also, according to this, <laughs> to this AL.com article, will zero in on big-picture questions troubling college football, like the NIL and the football playoff and more. The number three thing, according to this AL.com article that will happen in SEC Media Days today, 
the head coach of the Hogs. Arkansas's Sam Pittman will be the most relaxed guy in the room. And he's got a reason for that. He's got a very experienced quarterback. North Panola High School's K.J. Jefferson will be suiting up for the Hogs again this year. A lot of experience there for that young man from North Mississippi. And Arkansas surprised a lot of people last year. Now, they kind of spun out of control toward the end, but Sam Pittman, the big guy, is going to have a big time in Music City. Florida's Billy Napier will continue to trust the process. I would put him down as a failure in his first year in Gainesville, and I don't think it's going to get much better this year. I don't think it will be. I think Napier is not going to be a good coach at UF. That's a program that might have jumped the shark with Dan Mullen. I think they ran him out of town a little prematurely, if you ask me. But let's see what Napier does. Maybe he'll beat Vanderbilt this year. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe this guy will beat Vanderbilt this year. Kentucky's Mark Stoops. Kentucky had a good season last year, but my goodness, they lost that heartbreaker to Lane Kiffin and then losing games to people like South Carolina and Vanderbilt, for goodness sakes. But Mark Stoops will, according to this AL.com article, address his team's culture there at SEC Media Days Day 3. Craig Stevenson, again, the one that wrote this article. Check it out. We'll have all those Coach speak comments coming to you on our Thursday Y'all Show. Let's move on away from football for a moment in this Southern Sports Spotlight of this Wednesday Y'all Show. Some college basketball news. This little news tip got handed to me from Mr. Wildcat DT earlier in the week, and I didn't pay any attention to it because I got football on my mind. But since Vanderbilt's kind of been our subject here in this segment, we want to give Vanderbilt basketball some love. Jerry Stackhouse who did a great job leading his team to the NCAA. Didn't they go to the tournament last year? I'm trying to remember. I know they got hosed one year. Maybe they they didn't go last year. They should have gone. I think they did get left out, now that I think about it. But next season's SEC schedule is going to feature Calipari's against each other. As earlier this week, Brad Calipari, the son of John Calipari of Kentucky, he was hired as Vanderbilt's Director of On-Court Player Development. And he's going to be working with Coach Jerry Stackhouse of the Vanderbilt Men's Basketball Program. Last year, the younger Calipari spent the season as a Director of Player Development at Long Island University. And now he's going to get back to the SEC as an assistant with Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt, VU, and UK are going to play twice next season. Dates will be announced later in the year, but a Calipari reunion coming at least twice between Vanderbilt and the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, that's hard to believe. I remember Vanderbilt really did a great job in basketball. uh, Much, I know they had some tough losses early in the season, but they really turned it around. I thought they did pretty good in the SEC tournament. And then they got left out. They had a 22-15 and 15 mark overall. They were 11-7 and seven in SEC play last year, and they did not make the, the big dance. They got left out. They went to the NIT where they won 
games against Yale and Michigan, but UAB, Andy Kennedy's team, knocked them out of a chance to go to the Big Apple. So, yeah, I knew they did good. They just couldn't get that ticket punch to the big dance last year. The Open Championship begins on Thursday at Royal Liverpool Golf Club in Hoylake, England. Cameron Smith, the Aussie, is the defending champion of this tournament. And we're going to likely see some good pairings. Cameron Smith is going to tee off alongside U.S. Open champion Wyndham Clark and Xander Shoffley Thursday. They're going to tee off way early in the in the morning. Wake up early because these two guys are teeing off at 3.58 Central Time, 4.58 Eastern Time when these guys get going Thursday at the Open Championship, the final major. It's the 151st Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. Other groups that will be paired together for the opening round, Jordan Spieth, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Jason Day, their team together, as well as another group has Matt Patrick Cantlay, Brooks Kepka, and Hideki Matsuyama. I love this tournament. I love it. It's not my favorite golf tournament, but I definitely put it down as the number two golf tournament. It just means so much to see golf play where golf began, over there, over yonder. And I love the way these golf courses set up, and these guys really have to be on their game with the way the Lynx courses are set up. And it's just so beautiful. And I like the fact that it's July and those guys will probably be all bundled up wearing long sleeve clothes and stocking caps and more. It's the Open Championship. We're going to try to get Jason Nall to join us on our Thursday All Show as he comes on and helps us preview big golf tournaments. And he's with College Tour X. And if we can work it out and if he's willing to get up early and talk golf before those guys tee off, we'll have Jason on with us talking the final major of the year. That's a Southern sports update for this final hour. We're going to wrap this y'all show up right after this. Today in history, we lost a lot of Southerners back in 1967 as a plane crashed in Asheville, North Carolina after it hit another plane and nearly 100 people perished. We'll tell you about this tragedy from the 1960s as we wrap up the y'all show with a Southern history spotlight. Wrapping up this y'all show on this Wednesday edition with a little Southern history to pass along your way. And it was on this date in 1967 that Piedmont Airlines Flight 2022, it crashed. It collided with a twin-engine Cessna 310 over Hendersonville, North Carolina. That's just outside of Asheville. 
Both aircraft destroyed and all passengers and crew killed when this happened on July 19th of 1967. It happened right there near the Asheville Regional Airport. 82 people in all died with, again, zero survivors. Piedmont Airlines Flight 22 went down today in 1967. One of the passengers on board was John T. McNaughton. And John T. McNaughton was an advisor to U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. The aircraft were both operating under instrument flight rules and were in radio contact with the Asheville Control Tower, though they were on different frequencies. The accident investigation was the first of a major scale conducted by the newly created NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. A review of the investigation conducted 39 years after the crash upheld the original findings that had placed primary responsibility on the Cessna pilot. And again, a Cessna 310 is what crashed into the Boeing 727. The Cessna 310 is a small plane. Essentially, it holds two passengers. And it ended up crashing into this plane right outside of Asheville, North Carolina. By the way, y'all might be old enough to remember Piedmont Airlines. It was an airline that was in existence from 1948 to 1989, based mostly in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. This is where the founder started it up, Thomas Henry Davis. It had its hubs in Baltimore and Charlotte. And I'm sure this crash in 1967 did not help this airline's future. At one time, Piedmont had 22,000 employees. In September of 1988, just before it closed, it flew to 95 airports from hubs in the eastern U.S. Its commuter and regional affiliates flew turboprop aircraft and Piedmont Airlines. I remember flying Eastern Airlines. I don't remember flying Piedmont, but I do remember the good old Eastern Airlines. And that's taking you back some decades with that airline. But again, it was a Piedmont Flight 22 on this date in history that crashed outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And a total of 82 people died with this midair collision and a major development with the way that the NTSB investigates. There's an episode of a TV show called Why Planes Crash. Season one, episode five of that show. It's a episode called Collision Course. It's about the loss of Piedmont Airlines Flight 22, which went down on this date in 1967. And that wraps up our Southern History Report here. Sorry to tell you some gloomy Information, but here on the Y'all Show, we try to mix in all kinds of Southern history and more. And you know what? We're going to do it again on Thursday as you will hopefully join us. We'll have plenty more from SEC Media Days plus country music news and more. It's all on the show that shakes the Southland, y'all.com, powered by y'all.com. I'm John, thanking you for listening. We'll see you on Thursday.